The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Ladies and gentlemen, to the Catholic Home on member-supported Restoration Radio. I'm your host, Teresa, and on this episode I'm joined by a few guests, including our return guest, Jacinta, our debut guest, Mike, and our From the Pulpit and In Veritate presenter, Matthew. This episode is a members-only episode and is not available for individual purchase and download. To receive access to all Restoration Radio episodes, please visit truerestoration.org and go to the member area on the menu bar to find out details on becoming a member. Welcome back, Jacinta. Thanks, Teresa. Great to be here again. And welcome to you too, Mike. Thanks, Teresa. Very privileged to be here. And hi to everyone. And welcome to being on the other side. That is a guest, not a presenter, Matthew. Thanks, Mum. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, in today's show, which will be the first of two of such episodes... We gather together a handful of Catholics who will be sharing with us what they reckon are must-read books for our times, or at least books that we should have on our bookshelves to refer to from time to time. The purpose of these shows is to bring our listeners' attention to some excellent books that either aren't very commonly known by Catholics, or perhaps aren't as well appreciated as they should be. Each of our guests will present and discuss one religious book. We had to limit it to one, else Jacinta would have given us five. So so we will only cover three books today, which are all going to be gems, and then three more next month, which will be likewise. Now, all of us are convinced that no Catholic home should be without these books, and we hope to convince you all of that too. And we hope to be presenting reviews later on of secular books. This is not so as to send shock horror waves throughout Restoration Radiodom. Oh my gosh, secular books! No, no. It's just to demonstrate that such books also serve a good purpose, provided they are in conformity with Catholic principles and thus lend support to Catholic morality and or Catholic family life. Now, rather than this show provide a very brief book review, blog sort of article type of coverage, which are usually intended to solely encourage readers to read the book without actually telling anyone that much about it, We hope that these shows in themselves will provide enough about each book in order to be substantially informative so that listeners will find them worthwhile as a standalone. And it'll be something to tide you all over until you can read the books yourselves. Also, if you've already read these books, these shows should still be worthwhile because our guests will probably have picked up on some aspects that may not have grabbed you the way that they grabbed them. You know how it is. Now, our guest who will be launching our book presentation series is Mike. Before making your recommendation and review, would you please share something about yourself for the benefit of our listeners, Mike? Hi, listeners. Just to give you a little background about myself, I'm a father of four children. I'm age 63. As a child born in 1952, I briefly experienced the traditional faith. Like many of my era, I was embroiled in the Vatican II changes and felt the laxity that accompanied the 1960s and 1970s Still practicing my faith, but to some extent not understanding why it all changed and the processes involved. I met a young lady in my 29th year who was practicing the traditional faith. 
and we married and I became more acquainted with the traditional faith. I started to grow in understanding and knowledge of the faith from that point. I now value my faith so much more, having had children of my own and seeing the influence of the world that operates without true Catholic values. Well, thanks for that, Mike. And at this point, we'll add that one of those four children is here with us today, and that's Jacinta. So in case the listeners didn't know that, there you go. to be seeing as you're Matt's mum. Yeah, well, it's just it's, it's mums and dads and children's day. So. Okay, well, thanks for that, Mike. So now tell us about your absolute must-read, small but powerful book. Thank you, Teresa. I agree this book, The Kingship of Christ and Organised Naturalism, is an absolute must-read book for understanding how the world functions today and operates. Mike, would you please first tell us a little bit about the author before you continue? Father Faye was born in Ireland, as the name might imply. He joined the Holy Ghost Fathers. At the time of his authorship of the book, The Kingship of Christ and Organised Naturalism, written in 1943, he was Professor of Philosophy and Church History at the Holy Ghost Missionary College, Kimmage, Dublin. He promoted the Catholic social doctrine of Christ the King and was involved in Irish politics through Maria Duce. He firmly believed in the maxim, the world must conform to our Lord, not he to it. At the heart of much of Father Fay's work was his belief in the existence of a divine program which was proclaimed by Jesus but rejected by the Jews. Father Fay felt that the contemporary Catholic Church faced its greatest challenge from the forces of naturalism, be they invisible, Satan and other demons, or visible. Jews and Freemasons. He was regarded as an extremely humble and holy priest and was a prolific author of Catholic literature, including The Mystical Body of Christ in the Modern World, Money, Manipulation and Social Order, and The Rulers of Russia. Indeed, all excellent books, but in my opinion, the one you are reviewing today is the most critical foundational work of all of his. Now, Mike, what do you understand by the term naturalism and why is it so diabolical? Well, Father Fay himself quotes from Cardinal P.A. of Poitiers regarding naturalism. Naturalism is more than a heresy. It is pure, undiluted anti-Christianism. Heresy denies one or more dogmas. Naturalism denies that there are any dogmas. Naturalism denies the very existence of revelation. Sounds like modernism to me. What do you guys reckon? Quite. Absolutely. Yeah. So basically, it sounds like the nervous sort of religion. I guess it's one of those, another one of those Dan and Damon style, wake up, what does that tell you, <laughs> moments. Well, how does Father Fay explain Satan's role in naturalism, Mike? Throughout the book, Father Fay cleverly contrasts the role of Christ the King versus the naturalists, starting with the prime naturalist Satan himself. Father Fay uses church encyclicals to back his arguments of the different programs. For example, the first principle the one true religion is the Catholic faith. There should be no separation of church and state, whereas Satan seeks the separation of church and state. From the French Revolution, truth is confused with error and the rights of man become paramount. Second, the Church of Christ is the sole guardian and teacher of morals and virtue. The Lord reigns in society whereas Satan aims at getting state and nations to treat with contempt the indirect power of the Catholic Church. Third, 
The unity and indissolubility of Christian marriage symbolises the union of Christ and his mystical body. Satan is trying to destroy the sanctity of marriage. Isn't that clear today? Yeah, I reckon he's made a massive amount of inroads in that department. What do you reckon, Jacinta? Definitely. Yep. Thanks for asking for my opinion there, Mum. Well, you know, we have to prioritise the wisdom of the elders. So. I'm more important than you, Matt. <laughs> no, you're just older. Just, just, an interesting, just an interesting statistic on marriage today, uh, and one that, uh, that is not commonly known. Some of the more Catholic countries of the past, and I speak of Belgium, a divorce rate of 71%. It's outrageous. Portugal, 68%, and Catholic, formerly Catholic Spain, 61%. These are absolutely mind-blowing statistics. Yeah. We all regard the United States as a leader in, in divorce. It, it's very high, mind you, at 53%, but those figures are just, to me, quite staggering. Look, I reckon it's the evil fruits of Vatican too. Truly. That would be of the couples who've actually bothered to get married as well. Yes, that's true. So, I mean, the statistics would probably be even worse for those who just shack up. Yeah. And then break up later. But yeah, I think it would be because of Vatican too, because there can be, they'd be the most Teresa. influence over those mm. formerly Catholic nations than the Protestant nations. I think, Teresa, that seems to be the, the common denominator of all those nations mm. post-Vatican too. Certainly. So you've covered three now, Mike. So what's the fourth? Fourth one is, and I think it's an extremely critical one because we're talking and addressing here, our Lord wants children educated as members of this mystical body that they may look at every nationality from this standpoint in relation to God themselves and others. All subjects to be taught with Christian piety, true Christian values according to Christ. Warning to be given on motion pictures. There's one thing that, that um, Father Faye addresses. And wouldn't that be more so today with all forms of the media? Hmm. Uh, Pope Pius the, the 11th in his encyclical letter, Divinium Ilius Magistri, that was the, the Christian education of youth, made this point about the, the, the danger of motion pictures. But it also emphasises that... Uh, if you corrupt the little ones, the, ch the children, our Lord had the most severe punishment, stating that a millstone would be better hung around their neck and they'd be thrown into the ocean. Mm. Very strong words. Repeated by three well, of the evangelists, actually. Mm. And then St. John the Apocalypse makes some sort of similar reference to that. So that's really interesting. I think Jacinta and I touched on this a little bit with our children's movies and I think it's an important point to continue to mention because it really is one of the main sources of corruption of society is getting at the youth and that's what the organised forces of naturalism have done by completely controlling this, the mainstream media including the movies. I think the media and the education system. They work hand in glove. Yeah, definitely. It's the same organised forces. They're all, they're all organised and they're working yeah. together. So, Mike, would you please go yeah, on? Uh, Satan, uh, on the other hand, as opposed to the, the, uh, the concept that we're looking for as from Christ the King, Satan aims at impeding and preventing altogether the education of young people through immoral motion pictures, social media, internet, etc. And like Jacinta said, education, yep. 
So, yeah. I move on to the fifth one. The divine plan for order calls for wide diffusion of ownership of property in order to facilitate families in procuring the sufficiency of material goods. And I refer here to the papal encyclical Rerum Novarum of Pope Leo Thirteenth. Whereas Satan aims at the concentration of property in the hands of a few, either nominally in those of the state or those of the money manipulators. Isn't that the truth these days? Yeah, they've gotten very far in their plan, or his plan. Matt, have you got any comments to make at this point? No. No? All good. Okay, man, a few words. Okay, Mike? <laughs> he, he still gets to know we don't ask for his opinion. <laughs> I, I move on. I move on to the... <laughs> good on you, Jacinta. <laughs> Honestly. I move on to the divine plan calls for a monetary system so arranged as to facilitate the production and exchange of material goods in view of the virtuous life of members of Christ in happy families, the ideal being the working man's guild. Whereas Satan is pleased that the making of money and growth of power is in the hands of financiers, money is employed as an instrument for the elimination of the divine plan and for the installation of naturalism. Well, I guess who's the first people that spring to mind when you think of the words in the Bible of money is the love of money is the root of all evil. I think I mean, the Jewish come on, nation come is on, these organised forces are up there. Mm. So these financiers. So is there anything more you'd like to to say in, in addition to these six points, Mike? Uh, just the final one uh, that Father Faye comes up with is that. Christ our Lord must be reinstated as the ruler of human society. It belongs to him as do all its members. And I mean, that's a principle that we should all rule by, that Christ the King must be front and centre yeah, indeed. in our society. And that clearly isn't the case today. Not even close. Satan wants to bewilder and confuse human beings so that they give up the idea that there is an order laid down by God. He wants all religions to be equal, hence the ecumenism of Vatican II. Wow, mm. well this is very clear and it's pretty major stuff actually. And the satanic forces of naturalism can be viewed as kind of scary and they're definitely dangerous forces. And I guess we Catholics can see already from what you said that they have made enormous headway already, especially in recent centuries. So, Matt or Jacinto, who wants to, to make a comment here before Mike continues? Well, now I see why, Mum, you have been pushing me to read that for the past two years. After that <laughs> review, I think I might actually have to. Oh, Mike, that's great, because if you've convinced him to read the book, you've done, a gr you've done me a great favour. <laughs> it, it is mouth-watering stuff, and it is only part of the, the, the total message that Father Faye gives us because all forms of naturalism convey similar ideas and ideals against the kingship of Christ. And it applies to all ages, not just to the era that, that Father Faye was talking yeah, to. Yeah, that's right. And Jacinta, did you want to... I think it's probably never applied more... It has applied to all eras, but probably never more so than the current era. And you can see what just what happens when... Um, like like you say, Dad, when Christ is supposed to be the centre of of the world and when that's taken away, when that structure is taken away, you can just see it all crumble. Mm -hmm. Well, this is uh, where my take on it is the evil forces have always been active since, since the fall, since the devil came into existence. But what I think has happened in more recent times, especially the last 300 years, is they've gotten organised. 
And this is where it's really been a problem because you've got the the Christian nations breaking down for many reasons, including it, but they're organized now. You've got the Freemasonic forces and then you've got the communists and you've got all this stuff and you've got all the, and the Jews, everyone, all these people who are organized and they're working together. And that's why we're under such an assault because it's not just a chaotic random assault. It's an organized force of anti-supernaturalism. And I think that's probably why we're seeing such incredible headway has been made in all directions yes yeah. and i think them getting control of the money was critical mm. because they because control the money you control the press they control they control them they've got the think, mouth basically. they've got the mouth yeah, yeah. they've got the, the mouthpiece that's controlling that's influencing mm. the whole world so and in any other time you've had yes the forces of evil have been there but you've had the graces from the church that have been there fighting it obviously the, the church is still there but not in the capacity that it once was and so now that it's diminished so much the forces of evil are so much stronger mm. compared to you know all the masses that that were previously yes. being said to combat it they've attacked the citadel and they've they've torn down and they've reduced the the number of the holy sacrifices the mass of it each day just that alone and the number of people who are catholics i i think too that um there are many catholics that today uh, and in the past who've been ignorant of the fact that we need Christ the King at all levels uh, of state uh, in our economic system it, it shouldn't be, there shouldn't be a separation of, of the state and church people don't see the importance of the influence being there in all facets of life they, they mm. sort of think of religion as just one sort of and that's the effect of the fact that they've established this as a norm and it's been around for so long that all of us have been raised not even knowing what it's like mm. to be in a properly ordered system where there isn't that separation. So, Mike, when do you think Father Faye believes the church reached its pinnacle in recognising the kingship of Christ and its fight against organised naturalism? This is interesting because Father Faye sees the 13th century as the pinnacle and he believes it has continued to decay since then. The kingdom of Christ in its essence is always with us, but the influence of the church in politics and economics, that is the extension of the kingdom of God in its integrity, has varied with the centuries. No particular temporal social order, of course, will ever realise all that the church is capable of giving to the world. Each will be defective for social reasons and I guess because of original sin. Okay, is that what he believes? He believes that. Oh. Well. It's interesting that that's the same era that's known as the Dark Ages where we're supposed to, you know, we're being told by those who control the education system and, and the media and the textbooks and everything that that was when people were unenlightened. Oh, yes. Yeah, it was only at the... It's just that or, relentless brainwashing and the inversion of the truth and error. So the sun didn't go down for a while. What are you talking about? Dark ages. Okay. That's a great joke. Oh my God. I think that's, I need to contribute that's there. A dad joke. That's a <laughs> joke. That is, that is actually. Come on. So, Mike, as, as you were saying. Hammering me here. Yeah. <laughs> I think at that time, and another thing I should add with that 13th century was that we had a number of Catholic rulers, even uh, as heads of, of countries. Uh, I think we had uh, King Henry in Germany. We had. Um, St. Bridget of Sweden aligned to uh, and married to a, a ruler at the time. 
I think that's that's an interesting part. Another thing is that the result of the so-called Reformation and French Revolution has been to obscure the rights of God proclaimed by our Lord Jesus Christ and to diffuse naturalism. Yeah, and as we said, they've done a darn good job of that, haven't they? Mm. And so, Mike, can you explain to our listeners and Matthew why Father Faith, (laughs) (laughs) who has not read the book yet, so so can you explain to them why Father Faye is so strongly opposed to the Jewish nation and is he, in fact, anti-Semitic, as accused by some? Here, Teresa, I think we must distinguish accurately between the opposition to the domination of the Jewish naturalism in society and hostility to the Jews as a race. The latter is purely anti-Semitism, condemned by the church. Calvary, however, was a consequence of the refusal of the Jews to submit humbly to God the Father and accept the Son. The members of the Jewish nation, while retaining allegiance to their own nation, are also citizens of other nations. They are bound to strive for the domination of their nation over others, part of the Messianic belief. As with Satan, their program contrasts markedly with the program of Christ the King. For example, the Catholic Church is the one way established by God for the ordered return of human beings to him, whereas the Jewish nation under the natural messiahs will establish union among the nations. That involves aiming at elimination of every vestige of the supernatural life that comes from Christ. I won't read out the full program of the Jewish nation. Suffice to say that it contrasts markedly with the program of Christ the King in the moral laws, laws on marriage and divorce, children's education, property ownership, and finally money. Money is the instrument by which the state control or state socialisation is brought about. Well, they've certainly got the evil tentacles into every arena of society, haven't they? So what are the views of Father Faye on Freemasonry? We've already heard in the program on Behind the Lodge Door regarding the evils of Freemasonry as a secret society. Father Fay was strongly against the deceitfulness of Freemasonry, stating that it goes about the overthrow of any civil power or government that does not support its aims, in particular, the removal of any Catholic influence. Now, does he have any practical remedies for fighting Freemasonry? Yes, he does. He suggests that we take guidance from the Holy See and the encyclicals regarding Freemasonry, tear off the mask from Freemasonry, disclose it for what it really is, priests in their pastoral letters and sermons to inform people of the artifices used by these types of organisations to win men over. I just wonder, though, Teresa, whether that condemnatory message is given from the pulpit in, in, in the Novus Ordo Church these days. I would doubt I think that. not. <laughs> what, they're going to pull the mask of themselves? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think so. The, the one thing that is clear, though, that... All Catholics should be reminded, if they are Catholics, that they cannot join the Freemasons. What Father Faye suggested the time was that people, Catholics, consider joining the Third Order of St Francis, drawing men to the imitation of Christ. He also suggested joining working man's guilds and associations and encouraging the young to educate themselves against the, the secret societies. Praying to our Lord for courage and help is another means. He contrasts the program of the Freemasons versus the program of Christ the King. Similarly to the program of Satan and the Jewish nation, 
Freemasonry is opposed to any political, social or economic influence of Catholicism. We've got that pretty well covered there and great suggestions. So, Mike, are there any other naturalistic forces that he mentions in addition to the ones we're all familiar with? He, he mentions Lutheranism as the very instigator of the separation of church and state so that he condemns Lutheranism as its principal plan is to separate the church and state and promotes the way for liberalism. When this occurs, our Lord Jesus Christ is no longer the source of sanctifying grace in state life. Well, actually, I really know nothing about the Lutheran religion. So is he saying that Lutheranism has done that or did Luther himself? Do that. This was I'm part just... of Luther. This was part of Luther's uh, dogma. Oh, interesting. More we can blame on Luther, isn't that just charming? <laughs> yes. Oh, it's interesting. And the Lutherans have kept that, I presume. I believe so. Okay. And Protestantism, of course, also believes in the separation of church and state mm. and the power of individualism. Oh, that's right. That's how he got. That's how Luther got all the the noblemen to side with him because it's giving, offering them all the power as opposed to the church having any temporal rule. So, Mike, what are Father Faye's views on the French Revolution then? Well, Father Faye believes that it put all religions on the same level by elevating the rights of man and the state above God. When men reject our Lord Jesus Christ, they inevitably put themselves in the place of God. This is what the French Masons did in the name of France. The individual Christian becomes a mere citizen and the state organises the whole of life on purely naturalistic lines. So basically the French Revolution is essentially Vatican II in the political and secular order contained in a small geographical area. And that was a necessary prerequisite that actually paved the way for the birth of these same revolutionary ecumenical principles in the religious arena. If you well, think about it, and you know what's embodied in the Vatican II documents, it's, it's like the French Revolution put into a religion. Particularly the the uh, Vatican II document, uh, The Dignity of Man. Oh, yes, exactly. Mm. Isn't that just the same thing and the French Revolution put into a church's mm. documents? Mm. So we will we'll do Lady Before Gentlemen, not only because Jacinta's a lady, but because Matthew probably has nothing to comment on. So Jacinta, would you like to comment or perhaps ask Mike anything further about this book? Yeah, so do you think that this book would be a helpful one for those who are still in the Novus Ordo sect, um, considering that the heresy of naturalism is one of the many errors that did come out of Vatican II? Very much so, uh, Jacinda. I believe the book would be helpful in providing an illustration of how the forces of naturalism, through ecumenism, reduces the value of Christ as King and centre of all spiritual and social life and allows the secular forces to triumph leading to what we have today in immorality, social disorder and lack of structure. I believe that this book is predictive and prophetic on all of the naturalistic forces that have emerged out of post-Vatican II. Because considering it was written in the 40s, it's, yeah, it's almost like it's a complete prediction of what's happened now. I think some of these ideas were formulated earlier on the kingship of Christ, mm. but as far as putting it into a book for print, it came out officially in 1943. Well, just in time, and had more people paid attention mm. to what he had to say and what he had put into books, the Vatican II counterfeit religion probably wouldn't have gotten away with what it did. Even though that's a small book in size, it's certainly pretty sizable in impact, wouldn't you say, Mike? And 
quite a heavy topic. It is a book that uh, you need to read thoroughly, you need to digest, and I believe you need to take notes on, because it is such an impactful book. It has such a, a, an effect on today's society as we see it. The principles are, in my book, etched in the minds and, and the, uh, uh, the ideas of naturalistic forces. And I think that, uh, that, that everyone should know about it. Mm. And every home should be putting the kingship, should be putting, putting Christ the King at the forefront in everything we do. And uh, that way we can, we can help to avoid and, uh, and control the forces that, that are at work. And we can see from this book how large and how manifest those forces are. I think even even the best of Catholics these days is in some way tainted by naturalism, just, oh, just from living in the world. I, don't, I think it's impossible not to have been. You'd have to be living under a rock to not have been infected to some degree. So, Mike, thank you so much for making quite a, um, a quite a deep book so accessible and doing such an excellent review of it and our listeners will be pleased to know that this capital book can be purchased from the tr press and store online and of course like everything in our online store it's at a ripper discounted price so double bonus uh now we're going to give our listeners a bit of a breather from all this heavy evil like plotters and schemers sort of stuff and next we're going to talk about a devotional book Matthew will be presenting the devotional book for today, but before doing so, would you please do the customary telling our listeners a little bit about yourself, Matt? Sure, Mum. So I was born in 1993. I'm 22 years old now. A Catholic uh, ever since being brought into this world or ever since baptism. Um, currently studying law, and I think that's about it. Uh, not much interesting going on. Oh, it's glad to see. Glad to see that you've had such an exciting life, Matthew. <laughs> Before Matthew tells us about his book, we would like to remind you that you are listening to The Catholic Home on member-supported Restoration Radio. I'm your host, Teresa, and I'm joined by three Catholics from our local Australian mission. And today, we're discussing vital books for every Catholic household during these extraordinary times. We want to remind you that The Catholic Home is a production of member-supported Restoration Radio. All rights are reserved, and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. To obtain permission, please write to mail at truerestoration.org. So let's move into your book now, Matt, which is also small, but powerful in a different way. Now, Matthew, let's have the title, author, and reason why you read this book in the first place. All right. So the title is The Secret of the Rosary. It is by St. Louis de Montfort. I first heard of this book when our priest recommended it from the pulpit. And by recommend, I probably mean commanded. Well, maybe not commanded, but definitely, at least, strongly encouraged. As a result, I read The Secret of the Rosary. Plus, Mum took to me with a knife and said, you better do a read before our show. I get it, Mum, it takes a lot to get to the top. So. <laughs> okay, well, oh, that's dear. a good enough reason as any to read this book. And being written by such a great saint, and arguably the Marian expert of modern times, we can't go wrong with any of his books. So, Matt, after your rice cracking, how is this book structured? <laughs> It is separated into two parts, and these two parts contain very small chapters which are referred to as roses. For instance, first rose, second rose, etc., instead of chapter 1, chapter 2, and so on. These roses contain short interesting stories proving the power of the rosary, in addition to other things, such as quotes from the saints regarding the Holy Rosary. 
These stories include exorcisms, demons, and the like. This always makes for entertaining reading. Entertaining in the sense that it is more enjoyable and gripping than a lot of drier spiritual books out there. Okay, I see where you're coming from. So can you give us an example of one of these stories? Now, of course, most of us tend to find exorcisms and demon stories to be the most fascinating, so maybe start with one of them. One story about this person named Blessed Allen. He was having some trouble with the demons, and he found that whenever he put the rosary beads around his neck, um, it eased him considerably. Um, and he discovered that whenever he took it off, the devil would torment him cruelly, so he wore it every day and night. And uh, it wasn't just him. Uh, he testified that he had delivered a large number of people who were possessed by putting the rosary around their necks. And any other stories for those who actually pray the rosary? There are also a few stories in that book, because I, I, I read it years ago, from memory about sort of war battle situations where, where people prayed the rosary and and basically got escaped from... Had astonishing victories? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. I haven't read it for so long. I honestly can remember very little about it. So I actually have to read that one again. Mike, have you got any questions or comments from based on what Matt said? Matt, uh, th this book is one that tells you about how to pray the rosary and, and what benefits there are from the rosary. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We'll be getting into that. One thing I found that did stand out to me is uh, it takes you how uh, takes you where to actually stop during. So, you know, instead of going, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's more like Our Father, then it will have a cross. Who art in heaven, then it will have a cross. Hallowed be thy name, etc. It might not be that exact format, but it does take you through a format, which is definitely a good guide to have. So the little crosses tell you where the poles are supposed to be between each meditation yeah, thought. So you mentioned this book has two parts, Matthew. So what is the, that breakdown based on? Well, Mum, the first part of this book is almost like a sales pitch for the rosary, encouraging people to pray the rosary daily. And for those who already do this, it is a reminder of how powerful the rosary really is. So it kind of answered Mike's question. And I guess for a lot of people who... No, for those of us who are traditional Catholic, we kind of... It's a no-brainer. We're saying the daily rosary. So it's a good reminder for us and also we can improve on that and also for those who have just come out of the nervous order perhaps some of them aren't accustomed to praying the daily rosary so this would be a good book to get them into it the second part is like a manual slash kickstarter guide after you've decided to start praying the rosary you know how to get the most out of your rosary surprisingly there is a lot of information in part two i had never heard of before I guess it's very surprising because, you know, being 22 years old, you've probably heard of so much. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, to continue, Matt. One thing I loved is the encouraging words and the acknowledgement of how hard it really is to pray the rosary and concentrate on what you're praying about all the time. And on the flip side, I love the passage that says, It is really pathetic to see how most people say the Holy Rosary. They say it astonishingly fast and mumble so that the words are not properly pronounced at all. We could not possibly expect anyone, even the most unimportant person, to think that a slipshod address of this kind was a compliment, and yet we expect Jesus and Mary to be pleased with it. Brilliant. Applies to everyone, including myself. Yes, and that actually should be very sobering for many of us Catholics, who, although we would be horrified at the thought of ever missing a day praying the rosary, nevertheless can be a bit blasé or slovenly with the quality or, or rushed, perhaps, with our daily rosary efforts. And what you said there, Matt, reminds me also of one of those apparitions of Our Lady at Lourdes when St. Bernadette and the local devotees were praying the rosary together. And bearing in mind that these were really devout 
um, villagers at the time. So the account goes that at the end of each decade, there was a long pause before Our Lady was ready for them to move on to the next decade. And when St. Bernadette later asked Our Lady why she did this, Our Lady replied along the lines that they were all praying the rosary far too fast, which is displeasing to her, and that she didn't let them start the next decade until the time it should have taken them to pray the last one. So, I mean, we can deduce that there is an objective minimum time that a rosary should take to be prayed properly, which means praying devoutly involves not rushing and paying attention to what we are praying. So, Matthew, what are your thoughts overall about the benefits of reading this book? Mm. All in all, a fantastic short book separated into small roses, which makes it easy to read a little bit each day, especially if you lead a busy lifestyle. If you pray the rosary daily, this book will strengthen your confidence in it. If you are not committed to praying the rosary daily, then you definitely need to read this book. Unless you don't mind the probability of damnation being significantly higher than it could be, of course. That's your call. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Just point it as it is. The Secret of the Rosary. Great book. Easy to read chapters or roses in less than five minutes. A fantastic writing by St. Louis de Montfort. Get on it. Excellent. So Jacinta, have you got anything you'd like to add? As I say, I read that book years ago. The one thing I do remember um, taking some bit of comfort in when I read it was the the book was saying that um, if we have the right intention when we pray the rosary, even if we get unintentionally distracted, we still get merit from, you know, making the effort. Um, Actually, I remember that part as well. (laughs) Absolutely. And it also says, but you can't just go, I'll just pray it with you. You do have to actually put in a bit of an effort. So let's say you're struggling. Um, As long as you don't just go, oh, I'm saying the words. If you're actually putting in the mental effort, then you will get the graces. And that is actually a lot harder, I think. When you actually try that, it's surprising how hard that can actually be, even if it's only for 15 minutes of the day. Yes. And I remember one other thing from when I read it and it was something which kind of almost counteracted what you just said Jacinta like that was definitely something I thought wow this is taking comfort at this but then there was something else that was quite quite severe and harsh for those who who do get distracted and just let themselves remain distracted I remember thinking wow there really is quite a harsh um perspective he gave on that so I can't remember exactly what it said of course because it was that long ago but perhaps it's what you're talking about Mm. and also how you know one Hail Mary prayed with the right intention and and um really concentrating on it can be worth you know however many Mm. Hail Marys said carelessly yes Mm. and I think it was a cure of ours that said something along the lines of he would give anything to live longer, long enough to pray one more Hail Mary well before he died or something like that. So, I mean, a lot of saints do say things along those lines. One thing that in the book, it mentions saying the daily rosary and when it recommends it, based on the reading, I get the vibe that it's saying the whole 15 decades each day. Um, now, is there is there something that like says that we should just say, like, was, was there a pope? I'm pretty sure that in Pius XII's reign that he was kind of a standardised norm for lay people was just to say the one-third part like that we do each day, although we are encouraged to pray the full mm. rosary each day, but the, it's it's been like the accepted norm to just mm. pray the five Well, at decades. least um, we wouldn't have to say the luminous, so that's one less. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, it's interesting you should say that. Um... Because if you think about it, it's worth mentioning that the rosary is actually known as the Psalter of Our Lady, and that's because that the, the 150 Aves, which are prayed during the course of those 15 decades, represent those 150 Davidic Psalms. So when JP2 came out with that revolting counterfeit version of the rosary, which Jacinta mentioned, with its extra five decades called the Luminous Mysteries, 
we can see straight away already one reason just there, um, like why there's such a grave aberration. So, and more on this topic actually for those who, you know, I guess everyone would be interested because whether you're praying the rosary every day or not, you do need to learn more about this. You need to get into it. But there's another fantastic show with Bishop Dolan in, on his devotion series. It's the Restoration Radio series. And I think this one was back in around season three or somewhere around there. And it's about the rosary. So any of our listeners who haven't done so already will want to check that episode out as well. Have Mike or Cinder anything else you'd like to add or any quiz from Matthew before we wrap up on his book? Just one thing I would add as an anecdotal uh, piece. When I was in um, grade one at, uh, at school, we had a teacher, a Miss Murray, who was a convert to Catholicism. But the way she prayed the Hail Mary was so devout and slow and methodical. We, we as children used to snigger a bit, uh, unfortunately, not knowing that, in fact, Miss Murray was, was expressing her Hail Mary in the proper devout method that we should all probably follow. Well, I think you get the different responses. You get the ones that would snigger, mm. and then, of course, you get those who would be edified by that because mm. it's our example as adults, especially parents, as well, to that's... our devotion to Rosie that our children will learn how important and how beautiful and how how wonderful it is. So what are you going to say, Jacinta? Well, the ones who sniggered at the time but then years later realised the importance of it. Indeed. You're looking at one of them right now. I bet you were sniggering with them, weren't you? Well, I, <laughs> I, guess, I guess I own up to being uh, a little immature at the time, but uh, I've always remembered it. Oh, that's interesting. And also, I don't know if the rest of you find this, but I find that it actually makes a huge difference to be able to meditate properly, to often use some sort of book, whether it's just got pictures or ones that have like a bead-by-bead meditation. Some just have like a more loose meditation. But I actually cycled through four different books. Two of them are actually aimed at children, but they're still really good. And two are aimed at adults. And then there are times where, of course, you don't want to be dependent on the book. But you can tap into the meditations that have been presented in the other books for the times when you don't want to use a book or you haven't got access to one. So what we're going to try to do is get the best of the meditational type of books on the rosary, one for adults and prepping one for children as well, into our store. And um, if we can, The Secret of the Rosary as well, so our listeners can you know, get a hold of these useful support tools for praying the rosary properly and really well. I have to say it's really annoying because in some just gift shops, they have a section for you know baby gifts and things like that of, of a religious nature and sometimes they do actually have some nice kids books on the rosaries but and they have really nice pictures and everything there's always the luminous mysteries oh. so you can never buy them can, can you, you rip, rip out that? the end books the end pages <laughs> i mean yeah i suppose you could okay so jacinda there's no need for you to give us your life story today before you present your book because our listeners should remember you from the previous shows. But if not, I'm sure you can recommend some herbal remedies for memory loss and perhaps some great cleansing children's movies as well. Rosemary. <laughs> what about the children's <laughs> movies? Oh, Rosemary. Okay, and any great movies? Just kidding. So we'll move on to that book that you wish to promote now. Well, the book I'm recommending is Tumultuous Times by Fathers Francisco and Dominic Radecki. 
Um, I got a lot out of this book and I found that as well as it being a really great book to read from cover to cover, it serves as a really good reference book. Um, my copy's got numerous post-it notes sticking out of it for this very reason. Well, that's always a sign of a very informative and useful book, I reckon. So it must be jam-packed with material we want to return to later. So what's the structure of this particular book? So the book, while it's close to 600 pages, is actually quite comprehensive and easy to read. And the font's, you know, not microscopic. And I love that everything in its reference so that the reader can easily go and search for the original sources should the need arise. And as I said, it's a good reference book, so often it's one that I've used a number of times when debating religion with people. Um, and so it's really good to have that there to be able to go back and give them the source. Now the book's broken down into two distinct sections. Part one goes over an in-depth but easy to read explanation of the 20 general councils of the church from the first council of Nicaea all the way to the first and only really Vatican council. It explains the reasons each one was called, usually in response to some sort of heresy that the church was trying to overcome. Um, some of these were councils that I was aware of, but others I'd actually never heard of. And so I found it quite interesting to read about some of the, the smaller, lesser known councils of the church. Um, reading the history made me realise just how many assaults the Catholic Church has had to deal with throughout its history. And the fact that it has survived all of these is just further proof that it is the one true religion, because no other religion would have lasted this long and been able to withstand so much. Living in times like these which we currently find ourselves, I think we do have a tendency to glorify previous eras. So we kind of see them as, as a golden era when everything was perfect and the, the church had absolutely no challenges. And reading about just how many different problems the church has had to overcome throughout its history, I think it reminds us that while you know there never has been as big an apostasy as we are currently living in, things have never been perfect. The devil's always been at work trying to destroy the one true religion, and he always will be. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting and important point, Jacinta. And you're right, that's, you know, so many of us Catholics seem to think everything was a bed of roses before the bomb of Vatican II went off, but... You know, that's not the case. And although it seems that things were certainly the closest to ideal during the golden age of Christendom, the 13th century, as Mike intimated earlier, before the decline really set in, it, it really has been a tremendous battle and struggle in some way for the most part of the whole church's history. So, you know, if you think that had we lived in medieval times in Europe, that, that saving our souls would have been a picnic compared to our times, then perhaps we should think again. You know, I think every era has its unique challenges. And no time or place has offered a free ride to heaven. Um, but before you continue, Jacinta, I just realised all of us here, because of, you know, we've cradle Catholics, a lot, most of us, we actually find the authors, we know them personally. We've actually met, I've met them both. I just realised some of our listeners who have just come across the Novus Ordo may not be familiar with Fathers Francisco and Dominic Radecki. So perhaps before you continue, can you just briefly let us know a little bit about them? Oh, well, they're both state of a Cantus priest, so they're, they're aware of the fact that the Novus Ordo Church... Is, is the counterfeit religion. It's not the true religion. They, they're aware that um, when Vatican II began, what was created was a different church from the church that Christ founded. Yes. And what are they tied to any organisation? They're from, yeah, CMRI. Yeah. Yeah, I guess many of the listeners perhaps have met them as well. So, Jacinta, can you explain a bit more now what is in the first part of the book? Um, now, in case listeners, you forgot the number of pages that Jacinta mentioned in there. This is a huge book. It's close to 600 pages, and these are actually oversized pages, despite the large font. There's still a lot in there. 
So part one, being roughly just half of this book, has more words than most entire books have altogether. So therefore, when we say part one, think big. Think virtually two average books worth of information. So you're getting a lot of information jam-packed into this book. Uh, that's right. So part one, um, we're given an explanation of all the different religions that have sprung up throughout history. Some of them don't exist anymore, but there are also some which are very much going strong. And it also talks about the means that the church used to try and combat all of these. So religions such as Donatism, Islam, Arianism, Greek Orthodoxy, um, and all the branches of Protestantism, such as Lutheranism, Calvinism, Anglicanism, and Presbyterianism. And all the bisms. Yes, yes, the isms and bisms. Um, what I really love about this first section is the way that we're given an explanation of what was happening in terms of secular history, while each step of church history is also being explained. So a lot of other people might find the same thing, but I know when I, I find it difficult when I'm studying history to kind of get a big picture of when each event happened in relation to another and sort of seeing it as a timeline. It's, it's easy enough to learn about an event in isolation, but putting it in the context of, you know, the history of the world, it, it's a lot harder. So the way the authors constantly go back and explain what was happening in the world while each problem in the church was being overcome and each council was being held, not only helped to give context for each event described in the church history, but also helped my overall understanding of secular history and when one event sort of happened in relation to another. As I'm sure much of the history that's taught these days is just a bunch of lies told from the Protestant perspective and designed to make the Catholic Church look like the bad guys. So, for example, I know it's now coming... We were talking about the the Dark Ages, the medieval era, you know, just before with, with the book Dad was reviewing. Um, and it's now coming to light that the account of history that has been perpetuated, you know, about the Dark Ages, it's, it's completely false. Yet it takes time for the correction of, of these errors to sort of make it into mainstream education. And... With the way the world is at the moment, there's no reason for the people who are in charge of the education system to, to fix that little mistake. Um, and it's just one of the many reasons to homeschool if a traditional Catholic school is not available. Yeah, really good points there, Jacinta. And I agree that reading historical accounts in isolation kind of makes it harder to try and fit these into our mental big pictures that we've built for ourselves. So books such as this one that frequently cross-reference and interrelate the accounts with other events certainly make it much easier for us to understand their context context and relevance. And, you know, and we're much more likely to remember more of what is presented to us because we kind of know where to file away in our mental framework. I guess that um, my comment to, uh, on this book, because I have also uh, read it as well, and uh, it, it is such a, an interesting and, and fluent read, as Jacinta pointed out. And you've read it from cover to cover, but you also now and then just pick up a page and start reading it too, don't I you? I do. I, I use it as a, as a, a book of reference. Mm, it's very good I'm for that as well. I'm particularly interested in the post-Vatican II period because it, it gives more background and emphasis around uh, how it all unravelled. Mm. Did just occurred. something happen? And some of correct, and some of the 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 leading or the the protagonists in the whole exercise that eventually became alleged popes are ones that uh, that have quite suspect backgrounds when uh, when they're put under the blowtorch. So I think Certainly, it's. Yeah. Uh, but but it, you're right, Jacinta, when you say that there have been a number of attacks on the church right from the beginning. And my book 
that I reviewed, Father Fay, the, the Kingship of Christ and Organised Naturalism, emphasises the forces at work from Satan, the prime naturalist, mm. right through. And is it any wonder that Christ is attacked from all sides? It's good when you actually can interrelate not only the aspects of history that have been presented by Father Zredecki in that book, but you can actually interrelate with the book that Mike presented in other books that we read and because it all it all dovetails. So Matt, have you any questions? Oh, no questions, but I'd like to say I haven't read the book, but it's an interesting point you bring up, Jacinta, about, you know, homeschooling being taught the proper history because it's amazing, you know, when you meet co-workers or just other people out there, how warped and different their beliefs on history are compared to yours. It yeah. really is quite amazing. Yeah, it's just there's the... Um... The difference is black and white, really. Well, well, you know, I went through the mainstream education system, but it was always, there was what I was taught at school, and then there was, I'd come home and learn the real, the real thing. <laughs> this is a real I story. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the truth. So, Jacinda, what else makes this book stand out from the majority of history books then? Because having read both sides of these, you know, you'd have a pretty good idea of what's out there. Um, yes. So the book looks at history through the Catholic perspective, and as Matt said, that's unusual these days. And... Events like, you know, the Crusades or the burning of the witches where the Catholics are often painted as the bad guys are actually shown how they really were. There needs to be more of these kind of history books written to help counteract all the lies that we've come up against and that most people just believe. Like, like Matt was saying, it's you're considered weird if you kind of um, have an alternative mm. kind of history. Yeah. Well, I'll just just interrupting really quickly but not only see people don't read a great deal now but mm. they learn they get sort of hand-fed garbage in school but then a lot of people think that they have a great understanding of history based on what the history channel or bbc <laughs> oh yeah we're really going to believe that you know, the government liberalize naturalist forces tv productions like come on they but, never lie though yeah well, exactly. and <laughs> never in the number of movies that are made that they're trying to present oh. it as historical fact yeah. and you just know it's rubbish it but everyone not... knows that hollywood gets it right if it's in a movie it's correct it's gospel of course oh gosh well mgm so sarcastically but people actually no it is true they actually do. how they will believe something based on a movie but they don't realize that their purpose of a movie is to make money and be entertaining um getting the history 100 percent correct is not even on their secondary yeah it's not even on their secular agenda they don't no. you know it's not even a priority oh well and the agenda them. as well is to to try to influence them to believe what's not true because of natural mm. forces. Yes, exactly. That's so correct. So it's yeah. the anti-supernatural messaging that's mm. continually coming through. Well, like I was saying, you know, I went through the mainstream education system myself, but, you know, I was, I was brought up with a healthy dose of cynicism. So, you know, when it came to accepting the modern versions of history, I, I would question them and I'd get taught actually the the true story. Now, where on earth could that healthy dose of citizen come from? I mean, was there a genetic reason behind that, perhaps? No idea. It wasn't mm. my mother. No, it couldn't have been your mother, could it? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so it was. <laughs> Mike's sitting there saying nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Anything I say may be uh, written down and brought in evidence against me. It's all recorded. Yes, it's all will be used against you. But I have to say, you know, in, in spite of, of this cynicism and, and the education from home, at times it is difficult to actually separate fact from fiction. So it is actually helpful to have a fully referenced account of both the church and the secular history 
which isn't written with an anti-Catholic bias, where the church is seen as the oppressors and the Catholics as, you know, superstitious people who just blindly follow. Yeah, well, that alone makes us a very valuable resource. So, Jacinta, what has the second part to offer us? Okay, so the second section of the book explains the Second Vatican Council in great detail. So it goes into the history of it, the main people responsible for it, and their backgrounds, as Dad said before, some of them are very shady, very questionable. (laughs) Um, The heresies that arose from the council, so heresies such as ecumenism, religious liberty, universal salvation, um, and also the changes that were made to each of the sacraments and the impact that this has had on their validity. So the conclusions that the writers came to for some of them were, okay, these changes were made and this renders the sacrament completely invalid. And Mm -hmm. some of them were, well, it's questionable at best, but dubious. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, So Doubtful. Yes. As well as explaining the changes to the mass and also how these were gradually rolled out. So we all know that gradualism was one of the um, approaches to the changes in Vatican II. If, if you know, if they'd gone straight into the clown masses, um, and the Doritos and Mountain Dew. Um, and Bergoglio. <laughs> yeah. It would have been... Yeah, people would have um, would have had something to say, but it was all done yeah. so gradually, yeah. Um, and also structural changes to, to churches, things like the architecture, changes from, you know, an altar to a table, the removal of the communion rails, etc. And, and what all of these represent. And also then the parallel between the changes implemented after Vatican II, and those made by the Anglican Church after the Reformation. Um, Part of what makes it a good reference book is that there is a whole heap of statistics. So for things like church attendance since the Council, because we're all told that, you know, Vatican II was supposed to um, bring the church to life again, um, Mm. give it fresh air, but we know that since Vatican II, just numbers of everything have gone down, vocations, belief in basic church doctrines, church attendance, things like that. Just totally rotten fruits all around. Definitely. It mentions the third secret of Fatima, the fact that they couldn't even leave the rosary alone and free from changes, as we discussed before, the luminous mysteries. Mm. And also why the Second Vatican Council isn't a valid one. And as well as this, and probably most importantly, we're told how we can most effectively combat the evils of Vatican II through prayer, the sacraments, and in particular the Mass, penance and the use of sacramentals Mm. wow that is certainly a lot of crucial information packed into part two and i think being written by clergy is really important because they will stay stressed not only just telling us all the horrible stuff that's happened in recent history and and throughout history but you know they're giving us like you said the the tools to to effectively combat these evils and you know the prayer the sacraments and as priests they would understand that you know this is of utmost importance so Mike, have you got anything you'd like to add or any questions for Jacinta? I mean, I know you've read the book, but, you know, you can't remember everything in it. No, I think uh, it is a, a great read, is the, the thing I emphasise. It's a wonderful um, portrayal of uh, the effects of, of post-Vatican II. I would also uh, say that... Um, and I've also read uh, the work of Human Hands by Father Sicada, which is a wonderfully documented uh, book on on how it all unfolded. It's so good now to have at our disposal properly documented books that that give us a clear picture and a clearer understanding of what took place. And it is an, an important part 
of our history and in a, a very important part of church history. It's something that we should all know about. Yeah, and you know, like I can tell, one of the gauges I use for how much great stuff is in a book is mm. when my husband Damien and I are both reading books. Why are we sitting there both reading our own book? The number of times I get interrupted by him to share something from a book is, you know, directly proportional to how much good stuff is in a book. And when he was reading that tumultuous times, it was continual. <laughs> it was, so hey, hey, hi, get a lot of this. Oh, hey, you've got to listen to this. Wow, check this out. And I'm thinking, why am I bothering trying to read my book? I might just sit here and wait one more minute before the next gem gets presented to me. But you're saying that um, your parents are doing the same thing? Yeah, when Dad was reading it, we were, we were constantly getting pages read to us. Yeah, that's good. See, I rest my case. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a great book. So I guess we'll you know, try to get some structure back into our conversation. So what manner would you say, like all this great information, is being presented to the reader? Well, all through this this second section, it refers back to the teachings of the church and then it compares these teachings to what's happened post-Vatican II so that we can see the obvious contradictions that exist here. What I found particularly interesting, um, as we said before, is the way that the book details the backgrounds of some of the key players in the council. So people like uh, John XXIII, Paul VI, JP II, and it demonstrates their links to Freemasonry and communism. Wake up! Sorry. <laughs> so this alone should be enough to set off alarm bells and tell people that these men couldn't have been valid popes because so many people just think, oh, you know, it wasn't their fault, they they were led astray or whatever. They come up with excuses for oh, them. They but when you see formation. Yeah, yeah, when you see the the background to them, they've got absolutely no excuse. And it's even funny because if that was true, it's still irrelevant. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, true. You're not Catholic, you're not Catholic. Yeah regardless of exactly of the reasons why and so what i think would be most helpful for those who are not entirely convinced of the invalidity of the nervous automass is the way in which the changes to the consecration are examined in detail we can see the changes to the wording of the consecration and the implications of this in particular the change from for many to for all mm. Mm. which you know reflects their ecumenical belief absolutely so, Jacinta, what sorts of people would you say this book would particularly benefit? Well, I think it's a fantastic book for those who've already come to the fullness of the truth and understand that at Vatican II a new church was created, one that deviated from the church which was founded by Christ. So reading it for me helped me to reaffirm the truth of our position and realise that Vatican II didn't happen by chance. It was carefully, it was a carefully orchestrated event which was planned for many years before it actually occurred. And, and I think and that's just so important to, yeah. to see that. And it ties in with, with the book Dad was reviewing nicely um, in terms of sort of understanding that background. And it ties in with the um, the series on Freemasonry that Dan and Damer are doing behind the lodge door. Yeah, it does tie so, in. So like who else, apart from us, so we're like obviously we all loved it. So if any of our listeners aren't like, you know, signed, sealed and delivered, you know, full on set of account as Catholics, do you reckon that they'll get much out of it? Yeah, well, for those who are still in the Novus Ordo or who are in various groups which are closely aligned to the Novus Ordo, I think the second section of the book in particular would be very helpful. Personally, I don't see how someone can read the book and still maintain a position other than the Seder Vacantus position, but I do know that that is the case with some people who have read it. So I know people who in the SSPX who've read it, some people in the Novus Ordo who've read it, and yeah, they've got, got a lot out of the book, but it's like, yeah, okay. Oh, good gosh. Book. Yeah, well, as we know, they say there are none so blind as those who will not see. So 
It's what a shame, really, when especially given people such as Father Zudecki and others like Father Takata, you know, have gone to great efforts to research and present, you know, all the pertinent facts that we need to know, and they are now available to the public in these excellent books and articles. So, you know, it's, yeah, it's just a pity that this book doesn't always cause the reader to wake up. Anyway, Jacinta, anything more you would like yeah, to add? Well, I, I suppose as sort of tying in with what Dad was saying before, you know, there was so much confusion about what was happening to the church in the years following Vatican II and people were sort of scrambling to make sense of it but now that we've got the history behind us we've got those re- these wonderful reference books here um, so I think yeah we should definitely be making use of them we can make a m- lot more sense of them now than mm. people could just after it was all happening. And there's just a lot more available now than I remember back even in the 80s and probably a lot it was probably a lot more difficult in the 70s but you know it was it was actually hard to find all the evidence that we needed to look at to figure out you know what was going on and what we should do but thankfully through these you know, as I said of Eccantus clerics who have tirelessly worked to dig out these references to dig out the facts put them into you know solid books it, there's no excuse now for not actually knowing the truth about these things it's all there so do you reckon even if it doesn't sway people totally, is it still going to help them come that one step closer? Yeah, I think even if someone's not completely persuaded by it, and again, as I said, I'm not sure why they wouldn't be, (laughs) I think it's really helpful in helping people to understand just what a dirty business Vatican II was Mm. and the fact that, as I said before, it wasn't just something that happened by chance. It was carefully planned by some very evil men, as is outlined in the book. As I said earlier, it's, it's an easy read. It's not a dry book to read. It's not one where you have to sort of force yourself to the next paragraph and keep rereading because you've lost concentration. It's really engaging. And I think for this reason, you don't have to be a genius to read it. I think it would be suitable for anyone probably in their teenage years upwards. The back of the book also has got some charts. It's got a glossary of terms and lists. It's got, for example, um, a list of invalid councils, a list of anti-popes, which make it um, a really good reference book to have on hand. Yeah, well, you did mention that you have to be a genius to read it, so even there's hope for you, Matt. You, you could, even you could read it. Do you happen to have a pen? I'm obviously going to have a look in there, but does it have a good index? Because I actually find certain books that are that massive, I'm pretty sure it does actually, but it's um, it's good if they've got an index. Yes, it does yeah, actually. I, I, do, yeah, yeah. I do recall having, having used it in the past. That's important to let our listeners know. It has a, a good index as well. And a very, very long bibliography. Oh, yes. Yes, that's um, that's good. Always a sign of a really good book. <laughs> so, well, Jacinta, thanks for that. And it is certainly a great book. And it's, as you mentioned, quite the tome. It's it's big. For the inexpensive price it sells for, what you actually get is amazingly good value too. And the best news is that TR Store, while limited stocks last, is selling these for even more amazing price than you can find them elsewhere. So, Mike, do you have anything else you want to add? Just a... Just a small point uh, in terms of reading from a history, from a Catholic perspective. I recall reading a number of um, Helier Belloc's books and his take on, uh, and the reason he wrote a number of historical books at the time, mm. particularly the Refor- Reformation and, and, and onwards, was the fact that he wanted to tell history from a Catholic perspective. Yeah, like the truth. Because <laughs> what we were getting were Protestant views on history. Mm. So in other words, he just wanted to tell history. Yeah, he wanted to, he wanted to tell, tell the truth. We, we, need, 
we need to tell history from a Catholic perspective. Mm. The more Catholic authors we can get to present the true history, the better off we're going to be and the, you know, the more that will help the restoration as well. So we'll encourage any people who want to do some research and to publish good historical books, go for it. So Matt, have you anything you wanted to, to add at this point? I think now that's a book I should add on my list, despite the <laughs> fact that I'm looking at it right now and it looks like a large effort. But it's, no, but it's huge, yes. Yes, but uh, you know, true history and ways to combat the evils in our lives today. Why not read it? Just sounds like something we should read. As we close out this episode, we have kickstarted this mini series with a few really excellent books that are crucial reading or reference books for our circumstances. And I want to thank you, Jacinta, Mike, and Matthew for your time and being with us on this episode. And is there anything else any of you would like to add in summary before we officially close out our episode? No, I have no nothing more to add other than to say it's been a privilege to be on your program, Teresa. Well, it's been a privilege to have you, Mike. And Jacinta? Well, I think just the fact that the more you read, the more you see how things sort of do tie together and you get big better idea of the bigger picture. Yes, that's right. So... And Matt, anything? Yes, I'm definitely going to read those other two books that Mike and Jacinta reviewed, and thank you, Mum, for having me. No, you're welcome. And um, once again, everyone, thank you for your time. And we will talk to you again next month as we continue the series, God Bless You. And if you have any questions for any of our guests or feedback on this episode, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at catholichome at truerestoration.org, and we will pass along your questions or comments to our guests. And we'd also take this moment to remind you that all correspondence with us is strictly confidential. All of us here at Member Supported Restoration Radio hope that you found this show to be informative, helpful and beneficial to you and to your faith. In return, please think of offering a mass, a rosary or even a simple ave for our work the next time you pray. For the Restoration, I am Teresa. May God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.